Live your best life. Uh, what does that phrase mean? Uh, in 2018, which is only a year ago, there was a song called Best Life and Instagram went crazy with this hashtag, live your best life and all across social media. But back in 2005, there was a magazine with cover articles called Live Your Best Life and there was a lot of articles from Oprah Winfrey. Um, and if you go on Google now and you put in Live Your Best Life, you're likely to get about 6 billion kind of hits and if on the search engine there, because live your best life is everywhere. The thing is, if you check out on social media, what does it actually mean to live your best life? You will see pictures of stunning landscapes, beautiful girls with teeny-weeny bikinis, and ripped athletic men. A little bit like our staff team. Or maybe not. Or maybe not. And that's what it looks like on social media. It's all about faraway exotic places, adventure, beauty, you know, all of this kind of stuff. But actually, that's what our culture says living your best life is all about. And our culture defines it with twee and trite sound bites, like some of these. Live, live the life you love and you'll love the life you live. <sighs> and love what you do and you'll never have to work a day again in your life. You can be what you want to be. If you can dream it, you can become it. Ladies and gentlemen, that's not life. That's Disney. That is Disney. That is not living your best life. Just if you can dream it, you can become it. Many of us have got dreams and hopes and we're saying, them, but I'm trying to live my best life and it doesn't look like my dreams. How do I live my best life when it doesn't look like Disney dreams? You see, it's not as easy as just making a choice to dream something or to want something or to aspire to something, but it is it is about choices, not easy choices, but tough choices. And here's my single thought that I want to talk to you about this morning. The choices you make today will shape the stories you get to tell tomorrow. The choices you make today will shape the stories you get to tell tomorrow. Many of you in the room, those of you watching or listening, you're already followers of Jesus. Some of this stuff is going to really hit deep into that, okay? And it's really important. Some of you may not yet be followers of Jesus. You can make some choices today as well. You really can because the choices you make today will shape the stories you get to tell tomorrow. In doing some research, I came across lots of different material on this. And I love this little um, phrase, this little quote says, you've got to choose between tightening your belt or losing your trousers. And, and it made me think of a story that I heard many years ago. In fact, some of us in the church were there. And it was in this small church, not this church. Uh, and they were welcoming a, a new pastor into the church. And um, so, so people were suited up a little bit. It was an old school church. And, um, and there was people, you know, the, the room was full and everything was exciting. And we're all, whatever, everyone's getting ready. And one of the elders was trying to lead people in worship. And he was an older gentleman and, and, and quite portly quite portly and he'd forgotten to put his belt on and this is true because many of us were there and um, he was encouraging the people to sing and to, and to really worship God. Uh, it was quite a Pentecostal church and so like some of us do, we put our hands in the air which is a sign of just saying, God, we love you, we worship you uh, and people weren't doing that and so the, the gentleman came to the front of the stage and said, come on, let's lift our hands and worship God and as he lifted his hands like this, without his belt, his trousers hit the floor. And what was amazing was the speed that the guy lifted his hands, trousers fell to the floor, grabbed his trousers and pulled them back up again. What was even worse than that was then he decided to try and, rather than just ignoring it, some of us were absolutely creased up laughing. He then said, it's a little bit like the devil. You know, you're just trying to do something and the devil comes and I'm saying, no, the devil didn't pull your trousers down. That's because you didn't make the choice to put a belt on. 
Choose well, or you may need to lose your trousers. But it's a little bit deeper than that. I want to talk to you about a guy in the Bible who made some incredible choices. We're going to look at the headlines of this guy, okay? We could read the whole of his story. There's chapters and chapters of his story in the Old Testament. But in the New Testament, the writer to the, to the Hebrews, book called Hebrews, he, he gives you like the headlines, like the tweets, the tweet headlines about this guy's choices. And here it is in Hebrews chapter 11. It says this, It was by faith that Moses, when he grew up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Choice number one. He chose to share the oppression of God's people instead of enjoying the fleeting pleasures of sin. Choice number two. He thought it was better to suffer for the sake of Christ than to own the treasures of Egypt for he was looking ahead to his great reward. Choice number three. It was by faith that Moses left the land of Egypt not fearing the king's anger. He kept right on going. Love that. Because he kept his eyes on the one who is invisible. Choice number four. And then it was by faith that the people of Israel went right through the Red Sea as though they were on dry ground. Choice number five. Before we dive in, when you look on social media, living your best life, it always seems to require two things, lots of time and lots of money. The kind of people that are living their best life seem to have the time and the money to go and dive off cliffs in South America and and lie on white sand beaches in the Maldives and do this and do that. And it'd be easy to, to look at it and think, well, maybe that's Moses because he had time and he had money because he was the prince of Egypt. Yeah, but Moses was also abandoned as a baby. Moses was adopted into a different family. Moses was rejected by his own people when he tried to help them. And then when he did finally help them and lead them out of captivity, Moses was criticised horrendously by the very people he had rescued from slavery. And I want to suggest that maybe there are some of you in this room this morning and you're saying, it's all very well and good, Leon, you talking about living your best life, but, but you don't know the life I've had. How can I live my best life with the start that I've had? How can I live my best life with the present that I'm trying to survive or with the future that is ahead of people like me? Because we always end up in that kind of place when you've had that kind of beginning. I want to tell you, you can because you can choose Well, a guy called Stephen Covey made this uh, incredible statement. I love this. It says, every human has four endowments. That's basically, it means they they were gifts. They were given things. Number one, self-awareness. We all have that. Number two, conscience. Number three, independent will. Number four, creative imagination. These give us the ultimate human freedom, the power to choose, to respond, to change. You cannot choose much of what happens to you in life, but you can always choose how you're going to respond. And living your best life is about choosing well. So this morning, I want to give you five headline choices that Moses made. And then we're going to pray at the end and we're going to ask Jesus to help us. And maybe some of us need to make at least one of these choices again today. Number one, ground your life in your true identity. It was by faith that Moses, when he grew up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Now, Moses was, um, is a man that referred to as the greatest leader who's ever lived before Jesus. He's a man who gave a nation its freedom and a framework for living for the whole of the Western civilization. In fact, for, for many people on the planet, the Ten Commandments. Here's a man who appeared on a mountain alongside Elijah and in, in Jesus' day. Here's a man who knew who he was. 
because he knew his identity and he chose to ground his life in his true identity. Our culture wants to shape us into its identity. Jesus says, be grounded by your real identity. You know, many people these days, they talk about who they are in their identity. And I want to say, that's not your identity. Your identity is not your ethnicity. Your identity is not your sexuality. Your identity is not your marital status. Your identity is who Jesus says you are. That's what your identity, that's your core identity. You know, worse than, we have a lot of identity theft these days. Worse than someone stealing your PIN number is someone stealing your sense of identity. And to ground your life in your true identity is to choose well. And if this morning you are a follower of Jesus, your identity is already settled. Whether you are single or divorced or married, whether you are black or white, however you want to define your sexuality, your identity first and foremost is as a son or a daughter of the king. And Dan's already read it. You are a child. You know, you're not a servant anymore. You're my friend. You, know, you, know, I'm, you are accepted. You are valued. You are included. You are being made more like him. That's who you are. You're more than a conqueror. You, you are an overcomer. That's who Jesus says you are. That is your identity. So let me ask you a question this morning. Where do I need to take my stand when it comes to grounding my identity in Jesus? Maybe for some of you guys right now, you're getting pressures, not just younger people, but all of us. We're getting pressures from our culture to, 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 to blend into this kind of identity. Where do I need to take my stand when it comes to grounding my identity in Jesus? Number two, this is a choice Moses made to shape his life, to shape your life around your deepest values. Does he chose to share the oppression of God's people instead of enjoying the fleeting pleasures of sin. Now I love that phrase, the fleeting pleasures of sin. Listen, sin is an old word that we don't talk about very often. It's basically all that stuff that we think or do that isn't God's best and it kind of separates us from who God has made us to be. Here's the problem with sin. Sometimes it feels good. Because it's fleeting pleasures of sin. And so Moses thought, oppression or pleasure? Hmm. If that was my choice. <laughs> but actually he chose oppression. He chose oppression rather than the fleeting pleasures of sin. You see, the problem is, there's an old joke and it says this. The wages of sin are death, but the hours are good. And basically, the problem is, you see, the thing is, that's an illusion. Sin can feel good at the time, but it never is. Because sin has a way of misshaping us. It has a way of disfiguring us. It has a way of controlling us to become what we don't want to become. And I want to give you an illustration, which is an illustration I heard many years ago. I read it in a book by a guy called John Ortberg. Now, any fly fishers in the house? Anyone who does fly fishing? <laughs> Nobody wants to admit it. I understand why, because it looks totally boring to me. But there you go. There are some people who like to do that. Nobody wants to admit it, because I know there are some. But fly fishing. Now, here's the thing. To be a fly fisherman, you have to understand something about fish. They're stupid. Most fish don't think very much, okay? Like we do. Most fish aren't swimming along thinking to themselves, where am I going in my life? Do you know what I mean? Like, I've reached middle age as a fish. What have I done with my life? They turn to their partner and they say, where is this relationship going? They don't do that. Fish don't do that. Fish basically live an existence. And fish's existence is see a fly, want to fly, eat a fly. That's the premise of fly fishing. That the fish are stupid, see a fly, want to fly, eat a fly. Here's the problem. There's always a hook. 
So the fly comes along and it looks bright and shiny and I see it and I want it and I eat it, but there is always, always a hook. That's exactly like sin. But we're not like fish, are we? We don't see something, want it and have it. We are much sharper than that, aren't we? <laughs> like the leader who has power and influence and respect, but then his life and leadership is ruined by one stupid act because he saw a fly, wanted a fly, ate a fly, and forgot there's always a hook. Or the couple who were married for over 20 years, but then they drift apart and one sees a fly and they're divorced. Or the woman who on the face of it all has it all together, but nobody knows the credit card debts she's carrying because she sees lots of flies, wants lots of flies, eats lots of flies, and forgets that there's lots of hooks. Or or that man whose public life is all together, but whose private life is gripped and controlled by addiction. When I was a, a teenager, I, I remember as a teenager reading my first porn magazine. <gasps> Some of you have just died and gone to heaven there when I've said that. I can remember reading it. And I can remember me and my mates looking at this porn magazine when I was um, a kid, a teenager. And the thing is, when I was a teenager, you had to go and chase porn. Now, porn chases you. So you had to go and find it out. You had to go and seek it out. And it was my mate who was older than me that had sought it out, by the way. But, but, but I can remember, remember that whole thing. And then now I look at what our culture is into right now. And can I just say, it isn't just men who read porn. That's an illusion. Not now. It's equally prevalent amongst women as it is amongst men. And the reality is you now don't have to chase it. It comes and chases you. Here's the thing, ladies and gentlemen. When you see a fly, want to fly, eat a fly, you forget that there's always, always a hook. And so men and women's lives are being disfigured by the grip of addiction. And it may not be porn, it may be something else. But it always comes down to this issue. And Moses said, I am going to shape my life around my deepest values. The antidote is to choose to shape your life around your deepest values. I love this quote from Billy Graham. Most of us follow our conscience the way we follow a wheelbarrow. We push it in the direction we want it to go. Isn't that such a great quote? But but Moses said, I'm not going to do that. I'm actually going to live my best life. by I don't care how everybody else pushes their wheelbarrow. I'm going to tell this wheelbarrow where to go. That's shaping your life around your values. And so this, this morning, and I'm not naive enough to think that this isn't real in this room. If you know there is stuff in your life which has hooked you and gripped you and you know it's not God's best, choose now to stop it. Get some help. Talk to somebody about it. So important. Number three, third choice was to invest your life in what's meaningful. He thought it was better to suffer for the sake of Christ than to own the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking ahead to his great reward. I want to spend a bit of time on this. I want to talk to you about something that we all think a lot about, but don't like to talk about. And it's not sex, it's money. It's money. We don't want to talk about it, but Jesus, he told between 35 and 38 parables, which are stories that describe what the kingdom of God is like. And over half of those, 16 of those, or almost a half of those, are all to do with money and possessions. He spoke more about that than he did about prayer, heaven and hell, or worship. 
Because he knows that where our treasure is, that's where our heart is. And if we want to live our best life, we have to invest in what is meaningful. Now, I want, I want to ask you a, a question. You see, Moses, okay, he, got to the, he had all the money that you could imagine. But he knew he wasn't an owner of it. He was actually just a manager. And he said, I'm not going to invest into that stuff because I'm looking ahead to a greater reward. Now, here's a question that I'm going to ask you, and we're going to look at this a little bit in a few weeks' time in a bit more detail. Here's the question. If your money could talk, what would it say? I think it would say this. I can add meaning to your life, but I'm not the meaning of your life. So if your money could talk, what would it say? It would say, I can add meaning, but I'm not the meaning of your life. You see, money is a means to an end, not an end in itself. In fact, using money as a means to an end is what makes it meaningful. The definition of meaningful is a means to an end. It's our whole life is not a means to an end. Our whole life, if we want our life to be meaningful, it should be used as a means to an end. If you want to live your best life, the meaningful life, you've got to discover how to choose and use not only money, but in fact your whole life as a means to an end. Your present resources, however big or small they are, can have a forever difference and impact if you choose to use them well. Now we all know we can't take it with us when we go, but there is a way you can have something to show for it. Moses chose not to be controlled by, by money and possessions, but to use it as a tool rather than as a master. He gave it all up. We don't necessarily have to give it up, but how do we choose to use and invest what we have for what's meaningful? For me, I want to turn my stuff into stories. I don't just want my stuff to stay in my pocket or in my bank account. I want to use it to turn it into stories. Do you know what? Nobody is going to talk at your funeral about your house. Nobody is going to talk at your funeral about your car or about how many clothes you've got. Nobody is going to talk about your stuff. They will talk about your stories. They'll talk about what you've done with your house and with your car. They'll talk about how you've lived your life. And I, for one, I want to invest in what's meaningful. And that's using my possessions, using the money and the resources that I've got that have been given to me by God, not for me to own, but for me to manage for Him as a follower of Jesus. So for us, for me and Alice and my wife, and again, if you're not a follower of Jesus, this doesn't apply to you. You can look around at everyone else looking very uncomfortable right now, okay? And you can just say, this is good. But for, ev- for everyone else, if you are a follower of Jesus, for us, looking at the Bible, that means we start by agreeing what we've decided on a percentage of money. For us, it's 10% plus that we want to give to God through the local church. And we've done that ever since we've earned any money, since we were 18. And that's a way of us saying, God, I am not an owner. I am a manager and I want to honour you by giving back to you first. All of the other stuff then is ours to pay the bills and to enjoy, but also to turn that into stories as well. And so this weekend, I know that there is somebody from Africa who could not afford to be at a certain event the other side of the world, and we've been able to help him go. And I'm watching him on social media as he's enjoying that experience. And I'm thinking, that's amazing that we could use the stuff that God has given us to help him go and to help him have stories of life change and encounter with Jesus. To me, that's meaningful. That's meaningful. And you can work it out however you want to. But for us, that's the way that we approach it. And can I just say, just a little aside, many of you in this room and some of you watching or listening, 
You've done that in this church faithfully for many years. You've given your money. You've given finance. You've given stuff to God through this church for many years. Some of you have given money to the building campaigns we've had over the years. This building sits here now largely because of the money that you've given. And I want to thank you for that. Because over the last two weekends in this building, your stuff has been turned into incredible stories. So two weeks ago, we had nearly 900 people across the locations on that Sunday. We baptised 14 people. We heard some incredible stories. Last Sunday, we had nearly 1,000 people at all our locations. Many people made commitments to Jesus for the first time. Many hundreds of people came and heard the gospel for the first time. They were only able to do that because you guys gave sacrificially. And I want to thank you for that so much. You've turned your stuff into stories. And that is incredible. There was a, um, two weeks ago, a lady um, got baptised in Hagley and she told her story, incredibly powerful. Uh, we'll probably put it out on social media or on media sometimes, incredibly powerful story. And she told that story uh, in Hagley two weeks ago. Last Sunday, her mother-in-law made a decision for Jesus for the very first time. Isn't that amazing? None of that happens without you guys turning your stuff into God's stories. Thank you so much. But if you don't yet give, or you haven't found a way to give, or maybe you think, oh, just, I want to encourage you, do it. Make that decision. Choose well. Turn your stuff into stories. Invest in what is meaningful. So here's a question for you. If my money could talk, what might it say today, right now? Not what might it say, oh yeah, I'll think about that. Oh yeah, no, just when I'm through this tough time, then what might it say today, as in this moment in 2019? Number four, centre your life on the unchangeable and unshakable. Look at this. It was by faith that Moses left the land of Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. And I love this. He kept right on going because he kept his eyes on the one who is invisible. Moses made some huge choices. And with them, not only did the trajectory of his life change, but the trajectory of his nation and the world's life changed also. But here's the thing. Living your best life according to our culture is fun and fluffy. Just, just hashtag live your best life. It all looks fun. It's all jumping off cliffs and lying on beaches and swimming with turtles and all that. And that's brilliant. Nothing wrong with any of that. But that isn't what living your best life is all about. In the real world... It's bruising. In the real world, it's exhausting. It's gut-wrenching. It's sweat-inducing. At times, it's disappointing. Other times, it's exhilarating. But above all, it takes a lifetime to live your best life. You know, I, I thought long and hard about what I'm about to say. I know that for some of you, you're living your best life. You're trying to live your best life right now. You're waking up every morning and life is difficult. For some of you, and I've written it out, it's not easy to keep right on going and your kids are screaming, playing up or breaking your heart. For some of you, it's not easy to keep right on going when your partner is winding you up and you feel like you're falling out of love. For some of you, it's not easy to keep right on going where your health or your finances seem to be fading away. Some of you, it's not easy to keep right on going when you go to work every day and your workplace is a nightmare and your boss is even worse. Some of you, it's not easy when you wake up every morning and your body is creaking and groaning and fading before you. It's not easy, but you keep right on going. That's a choice. That's a choice. 
And, and I love this quote from Mark Batterson. He said, we live in a culture that overvalues 15 minutes of fame and undervalues lifelong faithfulness. Ain't that the truth? And I want to say, I said this at the first service off my notes, you know, and I want to say it to you. Some of you older folks, you know, I get really emotional these days, you know, when I think about some of the older folks that we've got in this church. Just looking at you, Gwen, looking at Bernard, you know, and, 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 and Heather and David and other people in this church. And I just look at you guys and, and week in, week out, you show up and you give and you pray and you smile. And I know not everything we do you like. And at times the music's a bit too loud, the lights are a bit too bright and it's all a little too dark. I get all of that. But you do it anyway. That's lifelong faithfulness. We would not be here. These stories... These, these stories of people giving their lives to Jesus, who are atheists, who are caught with all kinds of stuff, who then, whose family are giving their lives to Jesus. We are living in an unprecedented time of God moving. And much of that is down to your lifelong faithfulness. You're giving, you're praying, and you're serving, and you're showing up. And our culture says, oh, have you got a bit of talent? Let's have 15 minutes of fame. Who gives a rip? Lifelong faithfulness is living your best life. Young people, please don't be sucked in to all of that stuff that our culture says. It's all about how bright and breezy and, and creative and attractive and glorious and beautiful you are. That's not what God thinks. When he looks at a life, he's looking for someone who's living a life of faithfulness. Who keeps right on going even when they don't feel like it. Some of you guys here, you're trying to hold a family together and it's breaking your heart. You're trying to hold a family together that's broken. And you're saying, I'm broken too. And yes, you are, because life isn't about us all being whole. It's about broken people who keep right on going. It's about broken people who put what's unchangeable and unshakable in the centre of who they are. And, and the Bible says that Moses looked. He looked. And, and it says, doesn't it, on, on this verse, I'm, I'm off notes here. Because he kept his eyes on the one who is invisible. On the one who is invisible. And that's so, so amazing. Let's look at another scripture together. 2 Corinthians 4, and I've put some words in myself, but hopefully you'll get the point. The Apostle Paul says, therefore we do not lose heart. Like we feel like we're going to, do you know what I mean? But we don't. Because though outwardly we are wasting away, which is visible, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day, which is invisible. For our light and momentary troubles, and Paul, when he writes light and momentary troubles in another part of this chapter, he records his light and momentary troubles, shipwreck, um, beaten, stoned, whipped, flogged, driven out of the city, not light and momentary troubles. But he says they're visible. They're achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. That's invisible. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, visible, but on what is unseen, invisible. So what is seen is temporary, that's visible, but what is unseen is eternal, that's invisible. And this is how we keep right on going, because we centre our lives not on what we see, but on who we know. And God at times is invisible. But here I want to say something to you. Even though God is invisible, it doesn't mean you are invisible to him. Even though you can't see him, it does not mean he cannot see you. And even though he is invisible and sometimes appears so invisible, it does not mean he is inactive. Gerald Coates, who's a Christian leader, he said one of his famous phrases is, God often does more behind our backs than in front of our faces. 
And I don't know who needed to hear that today, but somebody does. You can't see what God is doing. That doesn't mean God is not doing anything. You can't see him. That does not mean he cannot see you. So here's the question. Where are my eyes telling me to give up right now? And how can I choose to fix my eyes on him? I saw a couple recently and I've had a lot to do with their marriage. And 12 months ago, their marriage was dead. And they kept right on going and dug right in deep. And I, I just walk, walked over to them just a few days ago and I, and I just put my arms around both of them and said, I'm so proud of you guys because you kept right on going. And they burst into tears like I did. And I know for some of you in the room, that's really painful to hear because you tried to keep right on going in a relationship and it didn't work out. And I get that. And my heart goes out to you. But all I'm saying is that sometimes when you're in the middle of something that doesn't look like it's working, when you keep right on going because you're looking at him who is invisible, that's a great choice. That's a great choice. Fifthly and finally, trust your life to the only one worthy of that trust. It was by faith that the people of Israel went right through the Red Sea as though they were on dry ground. You know the story, maybe from Sunday school. And Moses comes up to the Red Sea. He's got two million people that he's leading behind him. Behind that is an Egyptian army you know, going for them. He's got mountains and deserts left and right. So he can't go left and right. He can't go back. And he can't go forward because he's got a sea. So the Bible says he's got a choice to make. And God says to him, stand still. Just choose to stand still and see the deliverance of the Lord. I will fight for you, says God. You only need to be still. And then, and I talked about this a few weeks ago, he asks him to put out his hand. And so he reaches out his hand like with a stick, his staff. And he must have looked like a right idiot. Right, I'm going fly fishing. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And they were looking at And I don't think he felt anointed or spiritual. There was no keyboard playing the pad in the background. He was just standing there with a stick. But that was by faith. And the Bible says in the book of Isaiah that God sent his glorious arm of power to be at Moses' right hand. When you reach out your hand by faith, God opens seas. But that's a choice. And some of you are facing a Red Sea right now where you know you can't get over it and you can't go beyond it and you can't go behind. And the only way is by faith, by faith being still, letting God fight for you and then activating your faith when God says go. So here's this question. Where do I need to trust God right now? Maybe some of you, it's with your school, with your education, with your work, with your relationships, with your finance, with your health, with your kids. Where do I need to stand still and trust God? I was listening to a podcast the other day in the, in the gym and, and it was about rest and being still as I was on the bike. And the woman said something. She said, the reason many leaders, this is true of people as well, don't do stillness or solitude is that we don't want to give up control. I thought, ain't that the truth? That's the truth in my life. And that's the truth often in our lives. We don't want to stand still and just trust God because we want to be in control. But choosing well is saying, God, I can't do this. I'm going to trust the only one who is worthy of that trust. And that is you. So, Choices you make today will shape the stories you tell tomorrow. So when is the best time to make a good choice? Let's go to my final quote. The best time to plant a tree is 20 years ago. Second best time is today. That's an African proverb. So good. 
You see, many of us will think, oh, I should have done this 20 years ago. Well, you didn't, but you can do it today. The best time to make the right decision is right now, to choose well. After Moses had led the people of Israel into the promised land, in the book of Deuteronomy, one of the books in the Old Testament, he gathers them all together and he says, and he kind of said, right, I've got you all together. We're in the, we're in the land now. We're about to, well, we're not in the land, but we're in the wilderness still, but we're going to head into the land. And then he encourages them to live their best life. And he does what, what it was says of Churchill that in the Second World War, Churchill, if you've seen the film The Darkest Hour, he said, Churchill harnessed the power of the English language and sent it into battle. What a brilliant quote. That's what Moses did, not with English, but with Hebrew. He got language and he harnessed it into, into, into battle or into, into, into the power of it. And then he sent it into battle. And here's what it says in Deuteronomy 30. And I'm going to read it from the message translation. It says this. Moses saying to all the people, this commandment that I'm commanding you today isn't too much for you. It's not out of your reach. It's not on a high mountain. You don't have to get mountaineers to climb the peak and bring it down to your level and explain it before you can live it. It's not across the ocean. You don't have to send sailors out to get it. Bring it back, then explain it before you can live it. No, the word is right here and now. As near as the tongue in your mouth, as near as the heart in your chest, just do it. Just do it. I place before you life and death. Choose life so that you and your children will live and love God, your God, listening obediently to him, firmly embracing him. Oh yes, he is life itself, a long life settled on the soil that God, your God, promised to give. I want to invite the band to come back. And here's what Moses does. is He gets them all together and says, hey, you're going to live your best life. You've got to choose well. And he could say, hey, you know, I had some tough decisions and choices, but I made them. And this is what he'd say, you know, I chose to ground my identity on who God says I am, not on the culture. Secondly, I shaped my life around my deepest values, not just the, the pleasures of sin. Then I invest in my life in what's meaningful. I want to use the stuff to create stories. And then I, I, I chose to center my life on, on who is invisible, but who is unshakable and unchangeable. And there were moments in my life when I had to trust my life into the hands of the only one worthy of that trust. And so I made those choices. But then he gets them all together and he says, but do you know what? What I'm telling you in one thing is this. Just choose God. Just choose life. Just choose Jesus. Just choose, I'm going to live your way, not mine. And maybe this morning, if you're watching or listening or here in the room, maybe you've not made that decision yet. You know, last Sunday, many people did. The Sunday before, many people did. Maybe you haven't yet. You can. You can choose life. You can choose Jesus. But many of you have already made that decision. You made it maybe a long time ago. The question isn't, did you make it a long time ago? The question is, are you making it again today? Because every day is the challenge to live our best life. And that has to be around choosing to do life His way and not ours. And I want to pray for you in a moment. And what I want to do is we're going to sing a song that we've sung a lot, a lot here in the church over the years. Just, just a part of the song, not the whole song. And the song, there's a, there's a line in the song where it says, I'll stand. 
And what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray for you. And then the guys are going to sing the song. And at any point as they sing, if today you want to respond and you want to say, I am going to choose God. Maybe one of these five things that I've talked about, you know it's hit in an area for you where you think, I'm going to choose that. I want to choose to... I'm going to choose to ground my life in my identity, to shape my life around my values, to, you know, you know, to invest in what's meaningful, to focus on what's unchangeable, whatever. Or you may just say, no, I'm just going to choose Jesus. I'm just going to choose well. God, help me to choose well and to keep right on going. And when the push comes and the culture cries and the fly lands in the water with the hook, that you don't see because all you see is the bright, shiny fly. You say, I'm not going there because I'm choosing Jesus. So I want to pray for you. And then the guys are going to lead us. And at any point in this song, when you want to stand, you just stand. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you so much. Incredible power of your words spoken so long ago, but are so real and so relevant and so up to date. God, I pray that you will help each and every one of us to live our best life, which isn't fun and fluffy, but is meaningful and grounded and centered. And and God, there are moments of fun in that, of course. But Lord, underneath all of that is just a deep sense that we want our one and only life to matter. So God, would you help us this morning, I pray, to stand on our choices and to surrender our choice and our will into your hands and purposes. And so, Lord, as we now respond, God, would you just meet us at this point of response, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.